what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Leadership GPS, insightful conversations about leadership and what it takes to be successful in today's rapidly changing organizations. Hello and welcome to Leadership GPS. I am Alan Jackson with the Jackson Group and with me is Tony Jackson, my father, Hi, also Alan. also with Jackson Group and uh, several other endeavors we've had over the years. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about Good. you? Doing just fine. Good. Fine. Good to see you on our second episode. Made it through our first one unscathed and uh, got some good feedback on that. So we're going to keep the train rolling and talk about some other topics relating to the concept of leadership. Before we get into that, though, uh, we did have a homework assignment from last month. I remember it well. Right. Leadership GPS. Yes, it's a great name for a show, but obviously we felt like the GPS needed to stand for something other than the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did toss it out as a homework assignment for us, but uh, we got a little bit of a break in that we were given a suggestion I want to run by you by one of our listeners who left it as a comment on one of our web pages, their suggestion on what GPS ought to stand for. Giving people support. GPS. So that's an option for us to consider. I appreciate the uh, the feedback we got. Did do you have any others on the top of your head? Because I, I didn't. I know we came up with one or two last time. That well, I, I like that one. That one's much more specific than mine. Mine was giving people something. Giving people something? Giving people support might be a little more specific. So, uh, so giving people support, we'll use that as a subtitle for now until we come up with a, another one or one that might be a little more applicable. Okay. So anyway, thanks to, to our listeners for giving that one suggestion on GPS. And we'll certainly take others that you may have as we go along. Now, Dad, last time we talked about, obviously, kind of setting the stage for this podcast and talking about the show and the mm-hmm. concept of leadership. And you made a comment in that last episode that I, I made a note of. And I want to follow up on a little bit. You said that anyone can do leader-like things. Yep. Let me make sure I understand that. So someone can do leader-like things. Does that mean they have to be a natural-born leader to do those things? No. Well, first okay. of all, I'm impressed that you took notes about that. I did. I, I did. That. I did do okay. something last time. So That's that was good. Uh, good. I did pay attention for most of it. Uh, I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> so anyone can do leader-like things. But what if I were to argue with you that I know some people that right offhand I don't think are natural-born leaders. I don't see how they could be good leaders. How Are you telling me that they could actually become good leaders? I'm saying they can do some leader-like things. Okay. It's kind of like I mentioned to you Bill Paul, who's the CEO of Wayne Memorial Hospital in Goldsboro, North Carolina, last time. And Bill is a very principled CEO, one I have a lot of respect for. One of his favorite phrases is, and his quotes is, even a blind squirrel can find a nut once in a while. (laughs) And that has applicability here, if you think about it. Doing leader-like things, we can just get lucky at sometimes, do things the right way, be successful with it. But what I'm talking about is is really what I have termed the abnormal side of leadership. Okay. I'm talking about abnormality because leaders often, frequently, have to do things that don't come naturally for them. Hmm. It's not normal for them. Sure. I mean, I, I think of it some examples. Of course, leaders are always in the front, forefront of things. They're up front and putting people. A lot of people don't like to be in the spotlight. A lot of people don't sure. like to be in front of everybody. A lot of people don't like to spend uh, their time talking to groups of people standing up in front of the room. It's just not comfortable for them. But yet if a, if a leader didn't do those things, they, they'd be kind of lessen the view of them as a leader, right? Absolutely. Or okay. who tries to do it and doesn't do it well. Okay. Now, because right. confidence has a lot to do with this. Mm-hmm. You know, confidence as a leader starts with the person who's trying to be a leader themselves. Mm-hmm. And it inspires confidence in those around them. 
Good example. Have you ever been in a session, a training session, or a meeting, or a city council meeting, or anything like that, where the person speaking is so awkward, and so, the way they speak is so drawn out, and dull, and they uh, say a lot of, uh, you knows, and uh, uh, pauses, and, uh, you know, clicking their mouth, and, and they don't have eye contact. What kind uh, of feelings that make you think about them? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Good modeling, Alan. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. You How's it make you feel? How's it make you feel? Uh, uncomfortable and uncertain of them as as to what they if they know what they're talking about. Yeah, there, there's another quote that somebody once said that uh, inarticulate leaders always make us uncomfortable, yeah, and that's true. That. And we lose confidence in them and their ability to lead effectively. You know, so they haven't done the right leader-like things, even though they're in a position of having to do something communicate to people. Okay, fine. I don't like doing it. doesn't come naturally, and I'm not good at it. The missing element here is that they haven't worked on it. So so you're saying that someone who is not comfortable being in front of a group and speaking, but yet is put or has chosen to be in a leadership position, that's a skill set they have to be working towards and mindful of. Absolutely. Even if it's not something that comes natural to them. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of what it goes. Nobody said it would be a bed of roses. Nobody said, okay, now we crown you as a leader and therefore you can do all these great things. No. Somebody spotted something you knew that they thought could be leader-like on a consistent basis. But think about this. We work with a lot of organizations and sometimes, honestly, people are put in leadership roles not because they are a good leader or because Mm -hmm. they might be a good leader. Mm Mm-hmm. They're putting there out of convenience. Right. The we needed with someone most, to fill the spot, yeah. and here's somebody who's been here all these years. Longevity, seniority, yeah. uh, uh, has been with the organization longer than anybody else, is nicer than anybody yeah. else. They once put together this great paper report that everybody seemed to like, so maybe they've got some good leadership skills. That's right. right. And it's one of those things where it, it's sometimes we aren't very selective about who we deign to be a leader. We get less selective even sometimes, and it's not as critical about who's a manager because there's a different set of skills there that have not so much an overlay and, and, and connection to all the leadership skills we're talking about. You know, we said in the first session that you can be a great leader and a lousy manager. Sure. And you can be a wonderful manager of things and processes and stink as a leader. And I think a lot of people get those two terms confused or, or blend them together too many times. And I'm with you on this. I, you know, to me, leading and managing are two distinct roles. Yeah, they right. share a lot of common elements, yep. but the ultimate role that they're playing is, is very different. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So I, 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 it really kind of bugs me when people say, well, that person manages people well, so let's put them in a leadership position. Well, that doesn't necessarily translate the same yeah, way. Yeah. Right. The only time it makes sense that those things overlap mm-hmm. is historically. Think about this. Um, George Washington. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks, well, who's a great leader? Well, George Washington. Mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln detested speaking in front of people. Right. He was not comfortable. He was a very introverted uh, individual. He was thrust into a spot in history that he wasn't comfortable with, didn't want to be there, but he knew that he had to do that. Okay. And same thing with Washington. Washington could not speak well. He was an orator. He was not an orator by any chance of imagination. But he was there at the right time selected by the Congress to lead the armies and so on and so forth and become eventual president. And he had to do things that he was uncomfortable doing. How well he did them, who knows? We weren't there. Mm-hmm. All you can do is read the, leader, uh, the leadership books that say, yeah, he was a great leader. 
But I doubt that there's a whole lot of doing the right leader-like things consistently. He was just there at the right time. He intersected with that need for a leader. But obviously, I mean, these are two leaders that we just automatically think of, like you said, when asked who are great leaders in history. If they didn't have those, that innate desire to be an extrovert or to be out there in public speaking and be the visible leader all the time, but yet that's how we remember them. Obviously, they did something to get past that. They, 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 they had to work on something, I would assume. I mean, I, I can't imagine they just got up in front of a, you know. Not necessarily. Really? No. Abraham Lincoln was deemed a wonderful leader. And I'm, I'm not saying that he wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I certainly hold him a lot of respect. But he was in a situation. He was thrust into a situation that needed a person out front. Hmm. He headed up the country. You know, he was voted in by people. Right. He was thrust into a leadership position. And then everything broke loose with the Civil War. And that's what we attach him to right now. I don't know what he did in the early stages of his career sure. as a politician mm-hmm. from Kentucky and, 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 and those types of things. I don't know. He may have been lousy and just barely squeaked out. In fact, he lost a lot of elections. Right. So the, the point is that sometimes leadership is always situational. You know, we can be really effective leaders given the right environment, given the modicum of skills that we can apply at that moment, and given the right time in history, you know, that thrusts us into that. That's why I say we make so many mistakes sometimes appointing somebody to a leadership role when they're really in a management role. Mm-hmm. And then getting upset or frustrated because they don't lead well in their departments or their right. departments or organizations and that type sure. of thing. So uh, there is a, a problem in how we use the terminology. But I, I think it goes back. For example, I'm reading a book right now about um, about Theodore Roosevelt. Man, he was he was a fascinating guy. But he commanded a room when he walked into it. Why? Mm-hmm. He was so outgoing, so personable, so likable, and that huge beaming grin, eye contact, slap right in the back, bully, bully this, and that sort of stuff. He he was the center of attention. Now, did that make him a good leader? No, mm-hmm. it didn't. But having those innate traits about him that he didn't mind the spotlight. Right. That he didn't mind stepping out and making a decision that was risky and standing by it, mm-hmm. standing up for something he believed in, those types of things he was known for. So could, it could be argued that he had the outgoing personality. It just so happened that if he was able, if he had good ideas, good suggestions, good directions he wanted to move the country in, he's – he's helped by having that outward personality and that yeah, people yep. are going to be listening to yep. him as opposed to being someone more introvert, someone more mm-hmm. behind the scenes may have the best idea in the world, but if they're not able to present it with confidence and exuberance out in front of a crowd, that's people right. don't connect with it. Absolutely. So okay. that's, I think that's a good juncture because talk about that going personality. There's always been folklore around leadership in their in our country that says that in order to be a good leader, you have to be an extrovert. Right. Well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, introverts, maxed out introverts can be a, an effective leader, okay. but they have to work harder at it. So it's more of a challenge for them. More of a challenge. But, but what, yeah. what we're saying is that not just because somebody desires to be a leader or start a business or uh, manage a project from a leadership side of things, just because they're not comfortable and not just over eager to go out and be the public face and do the extroverted things doesn't mean they can't be that leader. It just means you're going to have a little bit of a harder time doing it. Absolutely. Okay. All Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the whole extrovert thing, you know, I guess 
and maybe a little discouraging for some people who automatically see themselves as introverts and they're wanting to be leaders in the future. And it's like, well, that is going to be a challenge. It's not impossible. Yep. It's just, it is a challenge. Yeah. And would you say the thing is that it's just, it's something that just has to be worked on and there has to be some real concerted effort focused on that yep. to do it. Now, well, let me, let me, let me bring ahead. down there just for a moment about mm-hmm. that, because rather than talking about Washington and Roosevelt and, 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 um, the Kennedys of the world and, and, and um, those folks, Lincoln's, as the leaders we think about. Our whole, our whole concern is about day-to-day leaders, mm-hmm. you know, those who are put in a position or choose to be in a position, whether it's a designated management role or not, but who affect positively the behaviors of other people around them. They lead others, mm-hmm. either through modeling the right things to do, influencing people in a positive way, getting people charged up, whatever it might be that's the trigger. But people choose to follow them because they seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, what was that commercial? Was it Smith Barney or something like that? The, the Quiet Company or something like that, but when they speak, everybody right. listens. People listen. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to be demanding to be out front and a great speaker as long as people know that when you do say something, you say it with meaning. Okay. All, All right. right. Well, that, that's important, too, because I, I also didn't want anybody to walk away thinking – Gosh, I've got to be this Teddy Roosevelt Dynamic, type of bombastic yeah. person mm-hmm. to make people mm-hmm. listen. It's just there's a balance there. There's a balance. Yeah, I, I guarantee there's I mean, I, I know of a few leaders that are very good on the verbal extrovert side mm-hmm. that may not have a whole lot of meat behind them to talk about. <laughs> That's right. But yet they're still gonna get some people following them and listening to them just because of their personality style. Absolutely. Then you've got on the other side people who are very quiet, very reserved, but if they've got phenomenal ideas, mm-hmm. that sometimes helps helps carry them forward. Absolutely. The perfect model is someone who's got the exuberance and the extroverted personality or can at least mimic it with some great ideas and great messages to share. And that's kind of the perfect, uh, perfect combination I would imagine. But you know, and, it, and it goes even a little bit broader and deeper than that, Alan, because when we start out talking about leaders and that it, being abnormal, doing abnormal things for people, mm-hmm. a person who is thought of truly and sincerely and seen as a leader in the best of respects is a person who's worked to get good at those things. Hmm. They've practiced. Okay. They've assessed themselves. Mm-hmm. They have held themselves up in front of a mirror and said, how am I doing at these things? Right. Uh, they have listened to, to feedback about their leadership with others, mm-hmm. uh, surveys and things like that, or coaching that's gone on or feedback from a superior or subordinates and all. They are constant learners, and they're constantly, they never take themselves out of the equation. There was a study done one time out in California, this has been back in the 70s, where actually is a former bodybuilder who became an author and and psychologist, and he did a lot of studies about leadership, but looking at leadership through the eyes of those being led. So he did a massive study, like 6,000 people Mm -hmm. that completed questionnaires and interviews. The, The basic thing he wanted to get from them was, Who's a good leader? You know, think right. of a good leader. Give me some traits and behaviors that person does consistently. Several things stood out throughout the whole study. One of which, and the primary one of which, the leader never takes himself out of the equation, and they're never satisfied with themselves. They're always looking at, did I do the right things? Mm-hmm. Did I make the impact? Did I was I instrumental in making that happen? They were always seeing themselves in there and through a self-assessment way. Hmm. All right, leaders do that. Leaders do look at and say. Am I doing it well? Right. Am I leading or am I just filling a slot? Well, let me, 
let me throw out two examples, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it. I know we talked about some presidents and and people from mm-hmm. from, from far back in history, and I'm I'm gonna look at two examples from today's business society. And of okay. course, I I follow a lot of technology and, yeah, and online I and media firms say. and all that. So <laughs> so there's two leaders I'm thinking of people that I would I think people would equate to a leader in their company with two completely different personality styles. Yep. And I'm curious how we kind of migrate the how we how do we mitigate these? You've got Steve Jobs on the Apple computer side, who I would say does not appear to have any problem controlling the extrovert communication style. In fact, that's what people gravitate to is that they want to hear him speak. There are people who line up for hours just to have a seat mm-hmm. in the keynote when he's there to present. Mm-hmm. He gets people excited, and they even say the comment is that people drink the Kool-Aid when they're around him. They, they will buy whatever it is he has to say, even if it's really not that big of a deal. It's just if he's made it a big deal, it is now a big deal to them. Yep. All right, yep. so that's one. Keep that in, uh, on one side. Right. Now take the same industry and look at Facebook. Okay, I don't know. Mark Zuckerberg, I don't know how much you know about him, but uh, the whole movie, the social network was sure. about him. Yeah. And the idea is that he built Facebook, which right now is one of the largest companies out there, and of course uh, publicly known by so many people around the world. And it keeps growing and, and building. But he is not at all an extrovert. Actually, the, the stories were around him that he was a very uncomfortable person to hear talk, to relate to. He almost had more of a robotic yep. sense to him. Yeah. So taking those two examples, if, if you were to kind of do a, your own assessment, just thinking about what they've probably had to go through in their life or maybe what, what, how they've had to develop themselves as leaders, even though their styles are still completely different, how how would you define each of those? What do you think is going on there behind the scenes? If I worked for each of them at different times, I'm not sure I would define both of them as a leader. Okay. I think I'd be closer to defining Steve Jobs as a leader. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because he, I do want to listen when he speaks. Right. He's thoughtful. He's not mechanical. Right. He's passionate, and it comes across, even though he has to contrive that passion sometimes. Sure. He really does. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know what? On stage at the expo every year, Steve manages his presence. Yes. He knows where to put his hands. He knows when to make contact with the camera and the audience. He knows when to create pauses that says, wait for it, wait for mm-hmm. it, baby. Mm-hmm. You know? right. And then you come out. So he sells and leaders yeah. sell. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know about Zuckerman. I, to me, all I've seen is a, the, you know, the movie, and I would not want to work for him, yeah. not directly for him. Sure. I bet he has stronger leaders under him and his team, though. Uh, he's the idea guy. Mm -hmm. He's a creator, innovator, and he's the idea guy and the entrepreneur. But you know what? Sometimes entrepreneurs are the absolute worst leaders. Mm -hmm. That's why they have COOs and they have other people around them that couch around them to make things hum. Okay. Well, what's really interesting with Zuckerberg, I think, is uh, I think you're exactly right. I think he is just an extremely talented individual with a great idea, but he had to surround himself with people that could be more of that public face Mm -hmm. and rally the troops and get the exposure. However, it's kind of coming back to what you were describing earlier on. He still had to develop and is still having to develop that external personality. Yep. And I think even when the movie came out just the last year or two, he had to make a lot more of a public relations effort. Uh, 
he's actually had to be the one giving the keynote at his Facebook right. uh, annual meetings right. now and mm. getting interviewed on 60 Minutes and all. Mm-hmm. You can tell, or at least from the background, you know, that's not a comfortable thing for him. Yeah, he's being handled through those things right that's now. That's right. Mm-hmm. But I think it's come to a point where he's realized, probably, and other people have realized that for that company to continue growing and succeeding, there does have to be that visible leader who at least can command some sort of attention. And he's working towards that. Yeah, he's still not there, but at least it is showing. I think what you were saying that that's a very abnormal thing for him. Yeah, but he realizes this something he does have to work towards and acknowledge that he needs some help with that. I think I think it's a great point to sit on him because the the turning point for him, if he is to be a true leader in everybody else's eyes, right, is for him at some point to sit back and say, you know, that's that's fun. Mm-hmm. That's good to do. That's fun to do. I enjoy that as much as I enjoy creating and ideating and those types of things. Right. Now, let me throw one more techie into the group. Sure. I just saw this the other day. It was really interesting. I was watching a tape about nonverbal communications. Okay. But it was an interview, just like we're doing here today, but it's on camera as well. And it was with an authorist of a book about nonverbal communications and leadership, Mm -hmm. the nonverbal leader. Okay. And I, I've never given a whole lot of, I've given thought to it before. And then workshops about nonverbal communication. I know it's important. But, you know, I mean, sometimes you can get too extreme. Oh, sure. Where do I put my hands? How many fingers do I have laced together? How long did I have maintain eye contact? All that sort of stuff just bores me, you know. Mm-hmm. But they showed two clips and said, just compare these two high-profile CEOs. And let's talk about how they come across. Right. One, obviously, was Steve Jobs. Right. And he stood up on stage. He put his hand behind his back, which this author has commented on about saying, I'm open to you. I'm open to your thoughts. And that rather than closed up. He would wring his hands out and make eye contact at points, and he would create that very dramatic pause sometimes. Sure. That people would say, just hanging on their seats, say, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. just wait. And he is a master at that, you know, but he had to contrive that in himself. Sure. But he knows how to sell. The other one, <laughs> Steve Ballmer, they have their name oh. right about Microsoft. <laughs> yes, yeah, That right. guy's a wild man. Oh, yeah. You ever seen him on stage? He comes mm-hmm. out skipping and hopping, jumping, tie loose and slinging around. He picks up the chair and slings it around, shouts, get like, riled up and all that sort of thing. He would scare me. Sure. He yeah. scares me. Right. You know. I, can you imagine him sitting down to coach hmm. an employee of his? <laughs> well, it's, it's the impression I get with him is they almost – I don't know how much of it is overdone just for the sake of the theatrics of it all. Um, but at the same time, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of an equation you can, you can put together with this, but with Steve Ballmer over Microsoft last several years, Microsoft has not done very well. (laughs) Now I don't know what the one-to-one is, you know, Bill Gates is kind of a little more out of the picture than he was before, but you know, is it that leadership style? is just not motivating and inspiring the people that are listening yeah. As it should. I I'm only second guessing, but yeah. I can tell you the, the vignettes that I saw them on tape mm-hmm. were both conclaves of people that they were communicating to about their products. Oh, sure. Right. Investors. And They're evangelizing and to them, right. And I guarantee that Bomber was trying to offset yeah. Steve Jobs' style. That's right. So we have the same type of venue, but boy, watch me. You know. Well, talking about the, the nonverbals, I'm, I'm curious about that because that's – I don't think I'm very good with nonverbal – communication myself. I think I've gotten over the years better with verbal and more extroverted than I was starting out, but I still think the non the nonverbal communications I'm still having to work on. So by that, of course, we're talking about eye contact. We're talking about hand gestures. We're talking about the pace of talking and the pauses and the things that are just anything that surrounds the actual words coming out of someone's mouth, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. How in the grand scheme of things, how importance wise 
are the nonverbals really on par with the words being said? Is it a lesser extent? You know, where do you, where do you pick and choose your focus here? here here's what nonverbals can do for you. Mm-hmm. They can help emphasize and they can clear up unclear communications. Okay. Confusion. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about there is when your actions and, and tone of voice and all those types of things belie what you're really trying to get across, mm-hmm. it leaves an audience or a person confused. What was he really saying? Okay. You know, he says he was really interested in me, but he never looked at me. Hmm. All right. Or he was looking over here to the side of him and I was looking at his watch the whole time and wondering what time it was and trying to, as I talked about, you know, uh, a mere personal situation I'm going through. Right. So where's the interest? I, he doesn't prove it. Sure. I put it in the, in the voice of a wise sage, you know, that uh, I learned a lot from a person named Mary Margaret Jackson, who's now Mary Margaret Baker, who years ago, as, I think a little, I know her. as a little six-year-old, your sister, I can remember this, and I used this as an example in a workshop just the other day. Okay. Mary Margaret probably doesn't even remember it. I don't know. But she was either in kindergarten or first year of grade school. Mm-hmm. And I can remember I was traveling an awful lot, and I came home one day, late in the day, and I did the typical daddy thing, sat down in front of the TV downstairs, watching the news, pretending to watch the news, and reading the newspaper. Mary Mark came in, a little curly-headed, blonde-headed gal, and slid up right next to me, had some papers to show me, and she was just all agog about what happened at school that day, who threw up on who, who's in love with who, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> right. And Daddy, look at this, look at this. This was her senior year of high school, was that it? <laughs> <laughs> Could have been. Okay, no. <laughs> a lot of vomiting in that's senior a, year That's high another school, story. Right? That's another story. <laughs> okay, right. Sorry. Please continue. But um, she was there, and evidently I was – too much doing the daddy thing. And my typical response was to grunt, mm-hmm, nice Mary Margaret, as I read the paper, watched these, mm-hmm, that's good, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Mary Margaret grabbed my face, twisted it towards her, and said, Daddy, you look at me because I don't know that you're listening to me. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Right. Perfect yep. message, you know? Yep. It was one of those things that, to me, spoke volumes, mm-hmm. where it basically says, if you want to convince me, act like it. Right. You know, don't just choose the right words, but act like it how you say them. This episode is brought to you by Drive Leadership, a leadership development and consulting service of the Jackson Group. Drive Leadership is a comprehensive process for preparing current and future leaders for active, results-oriented roles in rapidly changing organizations through the use of leader assessments, skills development sessions, individual or team coaching, and online reinforcement. To learn more about the Drive Leadership concept, visit its website at www.driveleadership.com. Let me give you a little bit of instruction here, Alan, about about the three types of nonverbal communications that okay. are out there for us to learn I'm, about. My, my notepad is ready. Go notepad for it. Notepad is ready. Yep. First one is called kinesis. K-I-N-E-S-I-S. Kinesis. Mm-hmm. Sounds like kinetic, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Kinetic energy, movement. And that's right, what movement. we're talking about. We're talking about hand gestures. We're talking about body posture. We're talking about fidgeting. We're talking about pacing if you're in front of a group. God, how tired do you get watching somebody who paces in front of a mm-hmm. group? Or somebody who in front of a group maybe will roll a magic marker or a pen back and forth <laughs> as he presents yeah. and then drop a pen and everybody I'm, notices that. I'm taking does that sound familiar? That. Okay. It does. I'm a little guilty of that, everybody. So. <laughs> all right, all you listening audience out there, which I hope there are thousands and thousands of. Oh, sure. That's Alan I was talking about there. Yeah, I do I do mess with the markers a little you bit. You do. So. You roll them back and forth in your hands. Everybody starts watching those, and then you drop it invariably. <laughs> And it's just people to have to people watch on, you pick it up. And it's just to keep people on their toes. <laughs> sure that's all it is. Now, as I said, the nonverbals, I'm still working on. But anyway, go ahead. If so you're kinesis. listening to this, you're noticing how antsy Alan got when it came to him, <laughs> right? He starts talking faster. All right, so kinesis. Kinesis, movement. Okay. And what we do, even where we sit across a desk or behind a desk or to the side of a desk, 
where how close we stand to a person, mm-hmm. okay, even though that comes closer to the next element of uh, nonverbals. But kinesis is about movement, what okay. we do with us and our body. Right. The second one is called proxemics, P-R-O-X-E-M-I-C-S, proxemics. Mm-hmm. Sounds like proximity. Yes. And there you're talking about the arrangement of things around you in the communication environment. For example, a good example, I made a speech one time to about hmm, 300 people, and it was at the um, uh, shore of mm-hmm. North Carolina at a conference center, and the audience was sitting there in their chairs, and I had to speak for them about an hour, and they had me with my back towards nothing but plate glass windows looking out the ocean. Mm. All right? Wow. Yeah. I said that too. <laughs> and so you can imagine 300 people sitting in the audience. It, were they listening to me? Right. Not after the first five minutes. Sure. And they were watching the birds. They were watching the sun out there, the sunbathers and everything else, and probably doing anything but thinking about what I was saying. Sure. Well, somebody didn't manage the proximics of that environment. If they had in setting that up, it would have been to draw drapes across there or turn the audience a different direction to focus on where you want the attention to be. All right? But Same. as a leader, we're saying those are things you need to be cognizant of well, because that's, that's uh, things you know, that could impact your basic, message. The basic thing. You know, uh, always people said praise in public and criticize in private. Right. That's talking about manager proxemics when you're trying to get a message across, mm-hmm. publicly or not. You know, if you're going to be trying to get a message across to a person that's technical and detailed, a lot of things to remember, don't do it in a crowd of people and don't do it when there's external things going on around you because the people are distracted like that. Sure. You right. see? Mm-hmm. So manage where it is. Even if you have to say, as Mayor Margaret did, turn my face and say, listen to me. Listen to me. Basically. Right. Yeah. So you have to manage the message through proxemics. And think about an office. Um, let's see if I can think of a good example. Um, yeah, again, if I'm sitting talking to an employee one-to-one mm-hmm. and my back is towards a window with sunlight coming directly in and they're facing that yeah. and I'm just a dark shadow, just shadow. bad proxemics yeah, sure. because they're distracted by that. Okay, so that's yeah. the second thing. You've that's got second. K- kinetics, kinesis and proxemics. The third one is probably the most obvious to a lot of people, and that's paralanguage, P-A-R-A language. Mm-hmm. That means kind of like language, but it's not really. It speaks, but it doesn't really say words. And those are the things that we talked about before, the uhs, the you knows, mm-hmm. the pauses, the drama of how we say things. Right. You ever been sitting in an audience, like a church or, you know, or, or a speaker or a training session, whatever, and the person will speak sort of like this. They'll say things like, the next three points, three points that I, I really want to, 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 um, yes, focus on <laughs> <laughs> and you draw it out like that and it does the same thing. Right. People start filling up that gap with right. their own language. Okay. Okay. You just give me a lot of room here. I'm going to think of what I want to think about. Huh, that's interesting. The paralanguage are those things that we spit out, but they don't really say anything except the wrong things. Hmm. Uh, the story is about John F. Kennedy. You know why they said John F. Kennedy was such an effective leader so much? Hmm. Well, there were a number of factors that drew attention to him. First of all, he's young, charismatic, right. great-looking wife, all that sort of stuff. But again, he juxtaposed himself with the bright points in history. Sure. But, you know, he was a rogue behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. But why they said people listened to him so well when he spoke— when, why they listen to him? Three things. First of all, he had that Boston brogue. Mm-hmm. Okay, a little interesting to listen to. Nobody ever heard it on TV or right. radio before. Okay, so they had to listen hard and listen well to him. 
Second thing was that he talked rapidly. Mm-hmm. He was from the Northeast, but he talked fast. And a lot of people just have to, like, what? You know, and you have to listen well to catch things. And the third and part that was powerful was he sprinkled what he said with a little easy remember pearls of wisdom. Hmm. Ask not what your country can do. Yeah, type of right. thing. You know? Would you, would you say that the, the, the rationale for why the fast speaking probably went, played in his favor is it because people were forced to keep up? They were forced to listen? There wasn't those drowning of kind of silences or pauses or things where people well, lose attention? Think about John F. Kennedy and listen to him. Think about Lyndon Baines Johnson. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. This pause is a drawn-out Texas draw. Well, it's a well-known fact that we can process and hear things at a lot faster rate than people speak. Hmm. So if they speak slowly, then that just widens that gap and leaves us more room to okay. depart from their message. Sure. Narrow that gap by talking faster, not, not so fast that you, you scare people with it right. or that you get slobbering at the mouth and that sort of stuff. But fast enough to simply say, stay with me. This sure. is important. Okay, gotcha. But it also goes into this, this whole thing about power language also goes into how we say our words. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a there's a, another little thing that we sometimes use, and it's um, how we effectively communicate. We use three things, words, and we use the um, the way that, or the way that we say the words, the, the methodology with which we say words, how the words are said, and then how we look as we say those words. Mm-hmm. So the words how those words sound to people, and then how we look as we speak. You know which is the most powerful of those three? I'd probably say the looks. Yeah, you got it. I did? Okay, okay good. And you read yeah. my note that I, I just wrote you, didn't you? I saw which one you were circling on your sheet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Today's modern communications, we rely on email, telephone, mm-hmm. texting, tweeters, all these other things. And what do you miss out of those? You miss the looks. The look. Yeah. You know how much... This the looks and how we look as we speak accounts for how much of that percentage it creates towards effectiveness. Fifty five percent. I see. I was going to say fifty, and that's not Were even you looking really? at your notes there. No, I was going to say fifty offhand. So words are only seven percent. Wow. And the balance are how we say those words now. Tell me. So as long as you look good, you can say whatever garbage you want to <laughs> well, say. Well, that's yeah. that's kind of nice. You sound convincing, and you look enthusiastic okay. about it. People are going to listen. People are going to buy the words. I you know I hate to say that sometimes, but yeah. that's part of being a leader as well, right? Selling the message. Now, you were a debater in high school, Alan. I was. So you were trained in State how champion. to speak and mm-hmm. how to present and how to get a message out yes. and how to look and that type of thing and how to use words. Yes. But think about our kids today. They're not there. Nobody teaches people how to look effective as they speak. Well, and that's, that's, that's actually leading into a question I was going to ask you uh, because we're talking about uh, speaking styles and some of the nonverbals, and these are all based on appearance. They're all based on what you see and what you hear. Mm. Okay. We are moving to a world where like you hit it right on the head right there where you said it, teenagers, younger kids today, they're not having that direct face to face communication as yep. much. Yep. And I think this may actually be even an, another topic we're going to spend into another month is about n- written or text-based communications as a leader, okay. because that is becoming more important. I think we could probably go for a whole half hour sure. on just that. But it is something of interest to me because we are faced with fewer and fewer opportunities to show the nonverbal and verbal communications directly to people. Yep. A lot more of it is text message, emails. There's a lot of companies that I uh, 
use their products and I will get emails from their CEO mm -hmm. as kind of a mass communication talking mm -hmm. about what they're doing next, what their next moves are. Sure. I could not tell you anything about what these people look like, right? how they right. talk, what kind of accent they have or anything. I would like to. And that's why I think even like the Steve Jobs keynotes are getting so much more attention these mm -hmm. days is because people want that visible presence yep. more than ever. Yep. But unfortunately, we don't have as many opportunities for it. So maybe let's keep that on the dock for another discussion because I'd really like to dig into the knowing that more and more people are looking for or are having to experience written and online yeah. leadership styles and, yeah. and what's the dangers and pitfalls with that and how do we compensate for that? And let me speak just very quickly sure. because I, I can't yeah. wait to speak to that. It goes back to a story about a CEO that I worked with one time who, when I worked with his VP, one of his VPs, the VP was extraordinarily frustrated because mm -hmm. I asked him, I said, how do you like working for Mr. Such and Such? He said, I'm just confused. I'm, I'm totally out of sync all the time. I said, what yeah. do you mean? He said, well, said, my style is basically to stop by and say, you got a minute? Can I run this by you and right. get a reaction? I'm a face-to-face -face person. Sure. And he said, that's, that's my style. That's what I'm comfortable with. It, it, you generate ideas. You kind of go on the fly. And he said, it took me forever to learn that he's a reader, not a listener. Hmm. And he used to be an English teacher. So he started saying to this vice president, said, okay, I hear you, but go back and write it up. Send it to me and I'll get right. back to you. Sure. He had to sit and print. And then he would mark it up. He marked it up with a red pencil with the grammar and all that sort of mm. stuff. Send it back. Wow. That was a little bit childish. But sure. the fact was that styles at which people learn and listen have to be understood. Yeah. We're changing that style for people yeah, through the are. automatic electronic texting. Yeah. What I try to do to bridge that right now, because I don't, I, I don't like communicating through the written word very well. I mean, I like it when I have time to parse it out and to put the emphasis behind it and all that. But if it's emails, yeah. the only thing I do to try to make sure that if I'm trying to sell something, get something across, communicate it well, I'll use the underline. I'll use the bold print. I'll separate something sure. by bullets. You know, and even I'll, sometimes I'll put in a little error to the side, draw in an error to it or whatever to draw attention to it. And that really brings me to the last thing I really want to say about this whole thing about leaders and working at it mm -hmm. is that it was, it was um, oh, um, I just lost his name, thank mm. goodness. But uh, anyway, is it Jim? Uh, Stephen Covey. Steve? <laughs> no, Stephen, okay, Stephen Covey. Hey, Steve. Right. Stephen yeah. Covey wrote, uh, obviously, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But he also wrote Principal Centered Leadership. Mm -hmm. And in there, I, I just thought it was very powerful. He said, don't worry about whether you're a leader or a manager because – Leaders manage four things. Mm -hmm. Leaders manage four things. And what those four things are, he said, leaders, first of all, manage people's attention. Right. They manage people's attention. This mm -hmm. is what's out there. And that's a lot of what we've been talking about that's so right. far that's with right. speaking styles. And, and it's either else. through communication style, it's mm -hmm. through presence, it's either through dynamics, you know, it's whatever. They manage people's attention. They look at this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Second thing they manage is related to that. They manage the meaning of things. Meaning of things. In other words... Now that I'm paying attention, why is it important to pay attention to that? Okay. Give it some oomph. Give it some give purpose. Some substance. Give us That's some right. The third thing is they manage trusting relationships. Mm -hmm. Sure. And the last is they manage themselves. Mm -hmm. Isn't that phenomenal, though? You manage yourself well, manage trusting relationships with people, point them in the right direction, and tell them why it's important. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. That really is. I think yeah. you look at the greatest leaders we've ever had, and they fit, if not all four of them, a majority of those things extremely yeah. well. Absolutely. All right. So let's... Let's kind of wrap it up a little bit here with this. Going back to some of the initial questions that I had, mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about 
verbal and nonverbal communication styles and really how that's a very uncomfortable thing for a lot of people, but yet it is something extremely important yep. to being a good leader. Yep. So if I'm sitting listening to this show right now and I am not an extrovert in the slightest sense, mm. I have no desire to stand in front of a group of people. Mm -hmm. I have no desire to watch my words and I, I can't, I'm not good at it first off and I don't know what to do about it. But yet I do see myself in a leadership position. What's the number one thing you would tell that individual to spend his time doing his or her time in that path to a leadership position? Well, the first you want to kind of hinted at there because you were, you're, you're mindful of, of your discomfort to doing okay. those things. So being mindful is important. You got to mindfulness of two gap. things, right. your discomfort, but also the discomfort it creates in others because you're not good at that. All right. And if that's important to you, if being important to these other people and sending the right message and being a good leader is important to you and you know that these are two blockages, how they see you and how you see yourself, you've got to take steps, basically practice. Okay. You get feedback and you practice. I have seen people stand in front of mirrors and look at how they communicate with mm. people. Better yet, it's better to ask people that you communicate with that can give you honest feedback and say, tell me how I came across. Sure, absolutely. You know, was that yeah. believable or not? Uh, you get feedback and then work it and practice it. Okay? So you need to be cognizant of the fact that there's a gap. Yep. And then you've got to work on practicing to close that gap. If it's important to you, yeah. Well, you know, and the great thing, too, about looking at uh, the access to information that we have these days there are so many resources where you could pull up and look at speeches mm -hmm. videos of great leaders and how they've presented to crowds and groups and see the styles and even if i would think even if you have to find yourself mimicking some traits of that mm -hmm. even though it's not a natural thing for you to do if you know that this is a way to command attention this is a way to show that you're a strong leader yeah. you may have to ape some of those things a little bit from here and there yeah. um I would also encourage people to look at the ones that are not very good. Yeah. And I'll give you an example of one that you could probably Google and find. <laughs> um, and it goes back to the whole uh, uh, Steve Jobs keynote type of world. But uh, I remember a few years ago, and I think it was when they announced the iPhone. So it was a big partnership with AT&T coming out about this. Steve Jobs on stage. And, of course, he is just dazzling the crowd. Everybody's eating up every word mm -hmm. he says. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to turn the stage over to the, I think at the, at the time was the CEO of AT&T to talk about AT&T's role in it. Mm -hmm. The guy comes out there with index cards, yeah. reading from the index cards. Yep. Yep. Uh, he was chastised on the internet for months after that. Mm -hmm. I still hear comments about how you don't want to be like the AT&T guy at that speech a few years ago. Because, I mean, it was probably unfair to be put right after Steve Jobs in the first place. But... <laughs> I guarantee you people can look at that and see where he may have been saying the right words, yep. but I guarantee you he was not conveying the emotion and yep. the meaning for it and the presence that he needed and to make people really respond and respect it. So. And you're right, and there probably was comparison in people's minds, but yep. remember, it sometimes getting confidence in a leader is getting used to that leader. Steve, Steve Jobs, people have confidence in him. Yep. They grieve over the fact that he's been sick and may yep. not be leading the company, that type yep. of thing. All right. But don't you think it's a little contrived that he wears his glasses the way he does? Oh, the sure. black turtleneck, oh, the jeans. It communicates for him, mm -hmm. right? And that's probably something that uh, the nonverbals didn't overcompensate for the stiffness of the communication by the AT&T guy. Right. He could have done that. Yeah. You know, he could have gotten more animated. Even with cards, he could just glance at cards and then animated and looked at people and, and talked sure. enthusiastically about things, looked back at cards for a hint and that type of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. You remember uh, Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. right? 
No, Bill Clinton. <laughs> who's, who's that? <laughs> Probably a four-year time. The singer? Squirt? No, okay, no. <laughs> the, um, when he was president, it, he was very mindful of how he came across sure. on things. He would use the right, and he would raise the eyebrows and look intent, good eye contact. A little too close to some people, obviously, you know, <laughs> that he got too close to. But, but the fact was, he knew some not. Some definite nonverbal uh, communications going on there. But anyway. <laughs> he was trying, he tried consciously not to point a finger, jab it at people or in the audience when he was making a key point. You okay. Because he knew that's offensive. And right. it turns people off and it comes across as lecturing and demanding and that type of thing. You know what he started doing? Well, that's why he does the thumb. Thing. The thumb. The yeah. thumb. He used close the fist and thumb. Points it out there. It's still the same thing. He's still pointing this at people important. without. But it's a closed fist. It's not the pointing finger. It's a different that's type right. of nonverbal right. communication. And think about uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, that one we probably don't remember. But when he got mm-hmm. outed, mm-hmm. you know, I still remember that picture of him getting onto uh, Air Force One, the helicopter. Sure. The, standing the two out there. hands. With the, what, what, did his, what was his fingers shaped like? V's. V's. What was his arms shaped like? V. V. Victory. Kind yeah. of say victory. I'm yeah. still winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> non And that's a visual that people remember all these years. Absolutely. Password and, you know. Absolutely. Very interesting. So what we're hearing today is that being a good leader sometimes takes doing some things that are very abnormal and uncomfortable for people to do. Yep. And the biggest of those that we're talking about today is really the the speaking, the presenting, the being up in front of a group, how you the commanding yourself. attention, how you present mm-hmm. yourself. It can be uncomfortable for some people. It's not to say that if you're not good at that naturally that you can't be a good leader. It just sure. means you have a little more work ahead of you sure. to get to that point. Sure. But it is important. That's not to say that every leader that's ever been successful in this world has been a great presenter. Nope. But – chances are higher you're going to have a, a better chance at leadership having those skills than not. Because it's a better way to manage it to attention right. and meaning of things. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. It, so it just sounds like the biggest thing is just people need to be, if they know that that's a gap, they need to be aware of it first off, recognizing that that's something they need to work on and then practice just like you're practicing for a presentation in a, uh, in a high school play or anything. I mean, it's rehearsing. Sure. It's knowing sure. how you appear, how you sound, getting yep. feedback from people you trust, yep. all of that, right? Two little quick examples, and mm-hmm. I know we can wrap up because there's tons of other uncomfortable things and abnormal things that leaders need to be. Maybe able to I have to do a part two on the abnormal and stuff. Two and three, probably, yeah. Because yeah. there's some things that normal part of the job. Some people are not comfortable talking to employees about problems. Yeah, giving negative feedback, you know? difficult situations, difficult situations, all. managing a stressful situation, all that sort of stuff. It's not natural for us. Right. Mindfulness is important, though, mm-hmm. and it permeates all these situations. Uh, I'm, you got to say audience out there, as I do it in a lot of groups, have you ever been driving down the road and all of a sudden kind of come to and you can't remember the last 15 miles you've been? Mm, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And my wife called me the other day on a trip. She said, well, where are you? I said, uh, uh, <laughs> North Carolina. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right, yeah. And it was a painful reminder that, gee whiz, that's not only dangerous. It's just not being aware of your environment. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of bad things can happen when you're not aware, Absolutely. not mindful. I remember one time my car crashed on me, not crashed literally, but stopped on me. This was years ago in an ice storm in Raleigh, outside of Raleigh somewhere. Mm-hmm. Still don't know what. And it was dark. It was after midnight. It was sleeting and icing. No cars on the road. No lights around. My car stopped. And trying to keep warm, I was wrapping underwear around my neck and bundling up and everything I had in the car because I'd been gone for a week. Mm-hmm. Had a cell phone. I called my wife. She said, well, where are you? I said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's, finally I called 911. And the first question she asked me, so where are you located, sir? I said, I, I'm on 64, but I don't know where. She right. said, what do you mean? I don't know where I am. Well, have you passed through Raleigh? I, I think so. 
Right. <laughs> Have you seen a big lake? Well, it's dark, but I know I can't remember. Oh, boy. She got really aggravated. She said, well, let me try to highway patrol. Highway patrol never came. 45 minutes. I called them back. First second, she asked again, it's a different woman. Where are you located, sir? Well, I, I don't know. Went through the whole thing again. Are there no stoplights around? No, no, they're not. You know, signs? Can you get it? No, it's like, no, I can't see anything. She said, well, let me try again. Finally, the blue light came around, came up behind me. I got in his car, sat down, said, I am so glad to see you. It's about to freeze to death. And he said, well, if you'd known where you were, I'd have gotten here sooner. Yeah. And he said, just look at these little roadside signs and everything that tells you mile markers. He said, just keep your mind on that once in a while. Hmm. It helped us all out. So Mindfulness, stay on top of things, remembering things, paying attention Not getting to lost to where you are, or at least knowing where you are at times. Sure. Anyway. Sure. Well, I think, you know, I like this whole concept of what are some things that are a little abnormal for people in getting into leadership roles. And um, I think we can definitely try to tackle some of those in future ones. And I, I really think the written side of communication at some point is going to have to come up as a topic because I just, I really think we're finding more and more people relying yeah. on that. I know. For better or for worse. I know. And it, it, it is going to change how people are perceived as leaders. And there's a lot of pitfalls involved with that. Absolutely a lot of pitfalls. Yep. yep. So. Uh, but I think we've done pretty good for our time today. Good. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, this is great. So talking about the abnormal side of leadership, and it sounds like something that we're going to be able to continue for a while in future episodes as well and uh, talk about some other topics. I agree because there's a lot of abnormality out there. A lot of abnormality, <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, you know, I hope at some point down the road too we might be able to find uh, some good guests we think can help uh, illustrate or, or kind of uh, elaborate on some of these topics that we bring in. We'll do that. Sure. And, of course, we're always very open to suggestions, ideas, questions you may have. Uh, you can post some questions or comments on the uh, on the Facebook page for this show. You can do it on the website. Uh, iTunes, you can go and post a comment or question on the iTunes page for the show as well. We appreciate all of the listeners and support we've had this first month. We've had great, great uh, response. We've gotten some good visibility from it. A lot of people seem to be connecting with what we're talking about, so we're just going to keep plugging away at that. And uh, thanks to The Mesh for having the network for to allow us to have this show and to talk about these topics like we do. So, mighty Mesh. It's a good. Mighty Mesh. There we go. Good deal. All right. Thanks, Dad. We'll talk to you next month. Thank you, son. All see right. See you then. Sounds good. Until then, this is Leadership GPS, Alan and Tony Jackson. We'll see you next month. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.